Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Chris Dirksen. Let's get into Joseph part two. So last week we started the Joseph series. We covered, so every week we're just kind of covering another chunk. So two weeks ago, or last week we did uh, Genesis chapter 37. We're going to skip over Genesis 38. It's incredibly sorted. has nothing really to do with Joseph. It is part of the bigger storyline of Genesis, but we're going to leave that. We're coming into Genesis 39 today, okay? And, which is a famous story. Now before we go there though, I want to ask you about a completely random verse, which most all of you know. And how, in fact, I'll just ask you, and I'm going to show you in, throughout this sermon how this ties into the Joseph story, but how many of you know what Jeremiah 29.11 says? Anyway, just put your hand up, okay? Jeremiah 29.11. Now, if I start to say it to you, you'll know it right away. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Jeremiah 29.11. So this Joseph message tonight is brought to you by Jeremiah 29.11. You say, what on earth does Jeremiah 29.11 have to do with Joseph? Well, you're going to have to stay to the end of the sermon to find out, okay? If you fall asleep online or if you leave this sermon to get your kids because they're in dire need of you, you will miss it all, all right? So outline of Genesis 39, okay? Genesis 39, famous part of the story. Joseph has been sold into slavery. We found that in, in chapter 37. He gets sold to a captain of Pharaoh's guard, Potiphar, okay? Then after he gets sold, right, this is a very famous story. We know this. So Joseph was very successful in Potiphar's house. Then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of trying to sleep with her, okay? That's bad. Potiphar has Joseph thrown into prison. Now, interesting thing. I was reading one of my commentaries this week. And uh, it's interesting to some common, uh, commentaries that Potiphar doesn't just kill Joseph. And so the question is, uh, you know, some people wonder, did Potiphar really 100% believe his wife? Okay? So there's some question there. We don't really know. But anyway, I like to think of interesting things like that. Lastly, Joseph gets thrown into prison, and then he's successful in prison. All right? And so now I want to draw your attention, though, to a theme that goes throughout the entire Joseph story, an important theme that is especially important in chapter 39 and this part of the story. And we find it in verse 2. It says this, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Okay? So Joseph has been sold into slavery and then the author of Genesis says, but the Lord was with him, okay? And we find this again at the end, right after Joseph gets thrown, at the end of this chapter, right after Joseph gets thrown into prison, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. So this is a key theme in the Joseph story. This is a key theme in Genesis chapter 39. God was with him. Now, interestingly enough, when is God with Joseph? Every time something bad happens to him. Maybe I don't want God to be with me, right? Like, it, I mean, really, if God is with you, shouldn't that mean you didn't get sold into slavery? Like, if God's with you, that should mean, right, that you don't, that God stops your brothers from selling you into slavery. If God's with you, that should mean you don't get falsely accused of some horrible crime. 
And if you get falsely accused, the fact that God is with you, shouldn't that mean that, of course, the charges get dropped? The truth comes out because God is with you. And in both these cases, we find the good things didn't happen to Joseph. He got accused of a crime and didn't get vindicated. He got accused of a crime, didn't get vindicated, got thrown into prison. Right after that, God was with him. Well, thanks a lot, God. Thanks a lot, God. You're with me. Clearly, God being with you doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you. And yet, and yet, there is a kind of success that comes with the Lord being with Joseph in prison. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. Imagine that. You know, you get thrown into prison and the warden puts you in charge of everything. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. Look at this. The warden paid no attention to anything. Now that's probably not a good thing to put on your resume if you're a prison warden. He paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. There's that, there's that theme again. The Lord was with Joseph. Okay? Fascinating. So, first of all, God being with you doesn't mean you can't get sold into slavery or that you can't be accused falsely of a terrible crime and that, or that you can't be thrown into prison because of a horrible crime. All of that can happen when God is with you. But then yet, in prison... There's a form of success and gave him success in whatever he did. There's a form of success that God being with Joseph does give him in the prison. Now, what does that success look like? Okay, that's a big question. Clearly, success in this case does not look like freedom. Okay, he's in prison. He's in slavery. This doesn't look like freedom. Freedom. Uh, That's not what success. It doesn't look like a big house and lots of money. He's still stuck in prison. Before this, he was a slave. But there is a form of success that we see that the jailer, the warden warden gives Joseph responsibility in there. And we see this same thing at work earlier in the chapter with Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph, said he prospered. Now look at verse 4. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Okay, now it's very interesting. It happens both times. It happens when he goes into slavery in Potiphar's house. It happens when he goes into prison. God is with him, and a result of God being with him is he has success. Now, what does success mean? It doesn't mean a big house. It doesn't mean lots of money. It doesn't mean he never gets sick. It means that the people, the kind of the bad people, end up trusting him. That's what success looks like. God was with them in the prison. And so instead of, and what that meant was, now, I, again, let's just step back for just a moment. Okay, let's just put Joseph, because we all know this story. Of course, he went into jail. Ha, huh. It's kind of this, like, wonderful story. And, of course, he was blessed in prison. Okay? What would you do if you were stuck in an Egyptian prison for not a good reason? I mean, I'd be trying to escape. I've watched movies about escaping prison. That sounds like, I, like, wouldn't you be trying? How many of you would think about escaping? Okay? At least think about it. Okay? How many of you would happily sabotage the warden? Okay? Like, let's sit, like, if you had the chance as a prisoner, something that's going to make him very, very sick, you're going to slip that into his food, right? Um, I mean, we've watched some of those movies of the terrible things prisoners do, right? Joseph not only doesn't do that, he earns Potiphar, his slave, same with his slave master. He doesn't try to run away. He doesn't try to, now, I'm not saying it's bad for a slave to try and break away from their master. I love those stories where, you know, those stories where slaves, true stories, would run away from their masters. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. 
Or I've also, you know, watched movies, true stories, where people who are in prison wrongfully escape from prison, and you cheer for them. It's wonderful. I love that. But Joseph doesn't do that. And this is the sign that God is with him. So what is the sign that God is with a person? Well, one way we can know. One way, not the only way. But if you want to know one way to see if God is with a person, doesn't have to do with how good a job they have, doesn't have to do with how blessed they look or how happy their family seems. According to Joseph, you could be, end up in slavery, you could end up in prison. One way to see that God is with someone is even when bad things happen to that person, they remain trustworthy, but not just trustworthy with their friends and family. Joseph was trustworthy with his master and with the jail warden, even for people who are against them. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Is God with you? I think of those people who are in a, you know, I th- you know, I often think about in our culture, you know, people with Christians who have had marriages break up. And you think, can God be with someone who's in that kind of, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. God was with Joseph. Him going into slavery, him getting falsely accused of jail, that is all Absolutely, God is with him. Now, how could you see that God was with him? Was in that jail and in that prison. He was trustworthy. Person in a broken marriage, God's with you? It means you can be trustworthy even with your ex-spouse or, you know, whatever the situation is that you're in. Now, when bad things happen to you, that's not the end of God being with you. Sometimes that's just the beginning. Now, I want to shift gears here a little bit now. Because everything I've done so far in this sermon is very, very Western and very, very individualistic. And that's not all bad. We've just found a lovely little truth that we can pull out of the Joseph story. And the author of Genesis would have been very happy for us to do that. But did you know that the author of Genesis, when he was writing down the story of Joseph, his main purpose in writing these stories down, the whole book of Genesis, in fact, the whole Bible, really, But the author of Genesis, main reason for writing the book of Genesis, and Joseph's story in particular, was not to give us individual, here's a practical application for your individual life. Did you know that that was not the main purpose? See, we do that now because we live in an individualistic culture. And you've all heard that going to church all your life. I know I have. And pastors like me say it a lot too. But we often don't help you to actually see how we reinforce that the way we preach. See, the culture into which, the culture to which the, the book of Genesis was written and the Joseph story was written was not an individualistic culture like ours. It was a tribal, an ancient tribal culture. Now, any of you who's ever been to Asia, uh, you know, in your lifetime, will understand this a little bit more because, but even modern Asians are not to the, to the level of ancient Easterners. But if you go to Asia, You'll find that in Asia, there is a much stronger culture of who your family is and how your actions not just affect you, but they affect how people view your family. Some is called a shame culture. There are different kinds of cultures, different ways of viewing things. Now, when we view Bible stories, we read Joseph and we go, okay, just give it. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for me? The book of Genesis, though, was not just written for you to get little practical applications. As good as they are, and these are wonderful, and we should do that, and the writer of Genesis would be happy for us to get that, but there's a much bigger reason. You say, well, what was the book of 
Genesis written for if it wasn't written just for me? It was written for a people. Let me give you in 60 seconds the main purpose of the book of Genesis, okay? The main purpose of the book of Genesis is to tell the story of how the nation of Israel came to be started and who their God is and where they come from, okay? It is a book of identity. And that identity starts in, so all these ancient Israelites who are reading it after, let me just tell you, Genesis 12, starts in Genesis 12 with a promise to Abraham. Do you know what the rest of the book of Genesis, we often don't stop to think about this. Do you know what the rest of the book of Genesis is about? From 12 to 50, it's about one thing. Abraham, his son, Isaac, Isaac's son, Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons, you know, the tribe, which become the tribes of Israel. It's just Abraham and his family. It's just tracing through Abraham's family. This is an identity book, and it starts with a promise, okay? This is the, this is foundational, central point to the entire book of Genesis, Genesis 12, it says this. The Lord said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. And the book of Genesis is now going to expand on that, showing God keeping his promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do you know that the rest of the book of Genesis, the primary purpose is to show God being faithful to this promise and developing through Abraham's descendants the people of Israel as the people of the promise. And you go, wow, I never thought of it. I just always read over this and then just went, that is a huge component. Now, did you know that a big reason for the story of Joseph is to show God, it's, a, it's the echoes of this promise in Abraham's descendants. Let me just show you one example. Remember, remember the promise to Abram. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll bless all the nations through you. Now I want you to see a theme that comes up over and over and over again in Genesis 37 and 39. From the time that he, that's Potiphar, put him, Joseph, in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. This theme, and I can show you verse after verse after verse through Joseph that he was blessed. Not in his circumstances. He's a slave. He's in jail. Why do they keep talking about blessing? And why is it so important to the writer of Genesis that not only was Joseph blessed, but the Egyptian household around Joseph was blessed because of Joseph? I'll tell you why. The ancient readers are corporate readers. They're not individualistic readers. And they are reading in this story, they are reading, okay, God made a promise. Our nation started with a promise that he would do this. Now they want to see how that promise is being fulfilled and how God is being faithful to that promise in each generation as this nation gets birth. The Lord blessed Joseph and the household of the Egyptian because Joseph was in that household. Now, there's one more thing we have to put in here, okay? And that is you have to remember now who are not reading. By the way, they didn't read these stories, Ancient Israelites, first of all, the vast majority of them couldn't read. Second of all, they didn't have printing presses. There weren't Bibles, okay? And nobody would have been wealthy enough to own one if there were such a thing as Bibles. So this is another difference between our culture and ancient Near Eastern culture is every time they listened to the Bible, they always listened to it in a group. We, and I'm not against this, by the way, I, I think we should read our Bibles. That's important. But when we read our Bibles, that's by ourselves, that is part of our individualistic thinking. And it's not bad that we do that. We should read it. 
But we have to remember that the ancient Israelites did not have a little personal time where they just read the Bible as if it was just to them. They always listened to it in a group, which makes a huge difference in terms of how this is being applied. So now you have to think, who is reading this? This, this was written centuries. The story of Joseph was only written down centuries after the, jo- after the Joseph story actually happened. Later Israelites are looking back. Now what are those later Israelites living through? What are they looking to get from these stories? Well, did you know that the vast majority of the Old Testament was put together during the exile, during and after their exile to Babylon, okay? That's huge. You keep that in mind. Now, what happens when the people of Israel, and they, by the way, they went through multiple exiles. Think about this. Just a few centuries after Joseph, there's this huge promise. Oh, Abraham, I'm giving you this land. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through your descendants. And then what actually happened a few centuries later? Well, first, the mighty Assyrians came and carried off all the ten northern tribes into exile. Whoops. Then, just a couple centuries after that, the Babylonians, another superpower, they come and they take the remaining southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they take them into exile. And then what happens after that? The Greeks come and crush what's left of the Jews in the promised land. And then in the New Testament times, what's happening? Rome has now come and oppressed the Jews centuries and centuries and centuries. The the Israelites actually didn't get to enjoy the promises of Abraham for very long, did they? Most of their history, they have not enjoyed the promises of Abraham. Now, what does that do to you as a nation when your whole identity comes out of you were birthed from a promise that said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to bless all the world through you. Except now, you are an Israelite in Babylon, in exile. You're not even in the promised land. You're slaves You're under Roman oppression. You're under Greek oppression. You're under Assyrian oppression. What does that do to you? You have what's called an existential crisis. You are wondering to yourself, does God really keep his promises? Did God ever really make that promise? Has God broken his promise? Are we not the people of God anymore? Generation after generation of Israelites is wrestling with this problem and they're coming back to these stories for encouragement. Now I want you to think about how they're receiving the Joseph story. They are asking the question, is God with us? We're in exile. What do they read in the Joseph story? Joseph went into slavery and what does it say? God was with him. Joseph goes into prison. What does it say? God was with him. But it doesn't just affirm to them that that God's promise to Abraham is still at work. It also is giving them very practical information about how should we live. Now imagine we all get sent into exile. Some terrible country comes, takes us, and, and ships us all into Mitchell. And it's, it's just horrific there. Your basement is flooding constantly if you're on the wrong side of the highway. It's, uh, yeah. It's kind of backwards. You can't get cell phone coverage, etc., etc. Now, what do you do? You've been taken into exile. You want to fight back. By the way, there's a place for fighting back, isn't there? 
there were many people who fought back when the Nazis tried to take over all of Europe and ultimately the world. I'm glad that there was people that fought back. We look in the news today. I, I pray for, you know, Ukraine, you know, regularly. I, and they're fighting back for their homeland. There's a time to fight. The Israelites fought. People would, nations would come, the Assyrians would come, and they would pray to God, and they would fight back. So now you're in exile, and you're wondering, how do I live in exile in faithfulness? Do we fight back? Do we sabotage? We should be sabotaging the Babylonians. We should be sabotaging the Assyrians. We should be, we should be, we should be. But the Joseph story is also speaking to you about how you live in exile. There's a time and a place to fight back. There's also a time and a place not to fight back. There's a time and a place to run away if you're a slave. There's a time and a place in Joseph's case where he doesn't run away. He works to see his master blessed. He works to see his prison warden blessed. And so there's this debate in, in Babylon, how are we supposed to respond? Now guess what? This debate is going on, and the book of Jeremiah is speaking into this debate. In Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah thunders into this debate because there's a whole bunch of Israelites who are saying, we got to have faith. We're not going to build a house. No, these Babylonians are apostates. They're ungodly. They're idol worshipers. I refuse to do business with them. I want to go back to Israel. God's going to rescue us. And into this, we have written... Jeremiah 29, and Jeremiah thunders to them. He says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. By the way, notice this. I carried. God lets his people go through some bad things. Look what it says next. And look what it says next. Build houses. Now remember, the debate is, We should not be settling down. We should have faith that God's going to rescue us. We should not be comfortable with Babylon. We shouldn't compromise. Look what Jeremiah tells him from God. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Now look what he says. In other words, this is not a time to fight back. There's actually a time to go along with the evil system. There's actually a time to go along with Potiphar. There's actually a time to go along with the jail warden. There's actually a time to go along with Babylon. Look what it says next. It gets even crazier. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. That's wicked Babylon. What? No. That's compromise. Babylon's wicked. They're evil. They're the bad guys. We should be fighting them. No, no, no. Jeremiah says, there might be a time for that. That time is not now. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city Babylon, to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And guess what verse comes right after this? I'm just going to skip just a couple of verses, but this whole passage. Guess what verse just comes right after this? Our famous verse, famous, famous verse that every Christian knows. It's almost as famous as John 3.16. In Jeremiah, God says this to Israel. For I know the plans I have for you. Now the question is, who is the you? 
Now, this is where we have to get ourselves out of our individualistic Western mindsets. Because when I read my Bible only by myself, and I read, I know the plans I have for you, who's the you? I'm all by myself. It's me. For I know the plans I have for you. That's me. Who is Jeremiah speaking to? Is he speaking to each individual Israelite by themselves? He is speaking to a group. He is speaking to the leaders of Israel. He is speaking in the plural, for I know the plans I have for you, the people of God in Babylon. By the way, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you in Babylon. Never lose sight of this. If you think prosperity in this verse means your business ideas all work, your marriage is guaranteed to be a 10 out of 10 every day of the month, except, well, okay, we won't go there, but it's, it's just always good, and your kids will all turn out great, and life will all be peachy keen. Remember that Joseph was blessed, and he was in slavery. That's not the kind of blessing I'm looking for in life. Joseph was blessed in prison for something he didn't do. He didn't get vindicated. This was not the movie that turns out, oh, and in the end, they all found out the truth and he didn't actually do what they said he did. No, he went to prison. Plans to prosper you in exile and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Now, here's the thing. Let's come back to this. This is plural, the people of God. You don't think any individual Israelites had anything bad happen to them for 70 years in Babylon? Do you think for 70 years in Babylon, every Israelite who wanted to get pregnant got pregnant? Every Israelite, their kids all lived to a long, healthy age. No Israelite got sick. No Israelite died of an accident or died too young. Absolutely not. Bad things happened to individual Israelites while they were in Babylon. God is making a promise to the nation because he made a promise to Abraham. He said, I'm going to keep your nation alive. And he said, if you'll, stop, if you'll just actually settle down, stop fighting. There's a time to fight. That time is not now. You need to settle down and work with the Babylonians. By the way, Daniel listened to this verse, didn't he? Because Daniel's living during the time of this. He's in exile in Babylon. And what's he doing? sabotaging the government and fighting against them? No, he's working for one of the most wicked kings on earth in his government. He's working with the system. He's not working against it. There's a time to fight. There's a time to not fight. I know the plans I have for you. God's saying, if you will work with the system and build homes and be good like Joseph was in Potiphar's house and in prison, then I'm going to prosper you. The nation of Israel is going to carry on. You're going to grow. You're going to eventually come out of Babylon. This is not a promise to every Christian ever. And by the way, the moment you realize this, this verse makes a whole lot of sense. Because I don't know how many of you have wrestled like me. I've often wrestled with, for all the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. What does that say about the tens of millions of Christians over the last 2,000 years who have died of starvation? in the various famines that have plagued the earth. That's not prospering. What are the tens of millions of Christians who have died of various diseases and poverty and war? Christians who have gone through broken marriages and all kinds of messy, dirty, gross stuff. 
God loves us very much, but he does not promise us a life in this lifetime of prosperity. Seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. So, this is a corporate uh, promise. I'll just put that up there just to make it super obvious. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a corporate promise to the people of God, not an individual promise to every person who follows God. Now, we are ready to make an application to today. Because I believe this is a promise that we can take corporately still today as the people of God. The question becomes, what time are we living in? And I actually mean this as a question. I do not have the authority to say this is the time with 100% confidence. But this is a question as Christians we should be wrestling with. What is the time we are living in? Are we exiles in Egypt or Babylon? Are we, are we Joseph in Potiphar's house? Are we Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar's government? Are we Jeremiah in Babylon? Or are we kings and queens in Israel like David? Because depending on the time, that determines what you do. I'll tell you one thing. David went to war. He has lots of prayers. He said, I won't even have wicked people around me. That doesn't work when you're Daniel working in Nebuchadnezzar's government, does it? Daniel couldn't live like David, and David didn't live like Daniel. Jeremiah was explicitly telling the people of Israel, don't live like David. This isn't that time. And Joseph lived very differently than David. So the question is, what time are we living in today? Are we as Christians, kings and queens in Israel, meant to dominate and enforce the Bible and God's will? Or are we exiles in Babylon. You know, I read an article. Now, my opinion, I'll tell you what my personal opinion is. My personal opinion is personal opinion. This is where we wrestle as the people of God. And we have conversation. We pray. Every generation wrestles with it. I think we're exiles in Babylon. I read an article just the other day, and they were saying how the percentage of, of evangelical Christians in Canada has dropped again. We're at about 7% now. Guess what? We are a small minority. We're not a small minority here in Steinbeck. Here it feels like we're a majority. But around Canada, we are a small minority. If this is a time where we are meant to be Joseph, Jeremiah, and Daniel, if we're exiles in Babylon, then our tools for advancing the kingdom of Jesus are very different than a King David. Then our tools are persuasion, not confrontation. Then our tools for advancing the kingdom of God are conversation rather than polarization and connection rather than isolation. Now when I say isolation, David was an isolationist. You don't follow the Bible, you're gone. We don't hang around with wicked people. When you're exiles in Babylon, nope. When you're exiles in Babylon, you open your arms and you love and you pray and you greet, and you eat with, and you work with the people who are not the people of God. 
Now that's where the fear comes in, but if we do that, maybe the church will collapse. Except that we have a promise. Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a corporate promise. For I know the plans I have for you, the family of God, the body of Christ, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. We might be in Babylon. It's not prospering as it's going to be easy and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Not that every individual Christian is going to have an easy life. But guess what? The body of Christ has been around for 2,000 years. It has survived through every imaginable situation and some of the worst crises the world has ever seen, and it's still alive and kicking today. Which is why when I sometimes hear Christians being alarmist, oh, Christianity's going to die in our generation. Really? You think after Christianity has thrived for 2,000 years, it's going to die now in North America? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for the body of Christ, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. The church of Jesus Christ is going to continue to thrive. And when we actually understand that confidently, we don't have to react fearfully. When we understand that confidently, we don't have to react fearfully. Rather than freaking out about the people who scare us, we should be trying to get friends. The very people group that fears you the most, ask Jesus if he'll give you friends from that group of people. And if you're a bold Christian, you pray that prayer and see what he does. If you're afraid of Muslims, ask God to give you a Muslim friend. Very fun. Oh, love it. Who are you afraid of? I want you to bow your heads with me. I want you to close your eyes. We are Joseph... Are we Joseph in Potiphar's house? Are we exiles in Babylon? Father in heaven, forgive us for being so fearful. Forgive us for being so angry. Lord Jesus, we want to be on an individual level. We want to be trustworthy in prison, we want to be trustworthy in Potiphar's house. We want to be trustworthy in our broken situations. Corporately, as a church, we rest on the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11, That we, as individuals, we may indeed face difficult times. But your church isn't about to end in this generation. It will carry on. It will continue to thrive. And we declare that in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.